everyone. It's Jeff. I'm so glad you're here with me on the Enrealment Hour. I'm just starting to find my feet with this podcasting thing. It feels really good. Really good. For a whole host of reasons that'll become clear in the following dialogue, I wanted to begin my conversations with someone who cuts right to the heart of the matter. Someone with a heart of gold and a mind so brilliant that it can't help but inspire us to take everything in our lives to the next level. My guest, Andrew Harvey, is an internationally acclaimed poet, novelist, translator, mystical scholar, and spiritual teacher. He has written and edited well over 30 books, including the best-selling titles The Hope and the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. He's won the Christmas Humphreys Prize, the Nautilus Prize twice, and appeared in two recent films, Dancing in the Flames, which I loved, and Ethan Hawke's Seymour, an introduction. He was also the subject of the 1993 BBC film documentary, The Making of a Modern Mystic. He's taught pretty much everywhere, and he's the founder and director of the Institute of Sacred Activism. And perhaps most importantly, he's a kind-hearted rascal with a penchant for red pashminas, Maria Callas, white lions, and Chicago pizza. You can check him out at andrewharvey.net. Now, Andrew and I have been playfully calling each other Big Lion for a long time. What his bio doesn't capture is the ferocious and courageously truthful nature of his being. Whereas most spiritual teachers shy away from anything that will compromise their market share, Andrew pulls no punches in his efforts to call out that which doesn't serve us and paints beautiful pictures of possibility for all of us going forward. So that we never forget what's possible as we stumble along on the path to healing and wholeness. Andrew's been a great help to me, particularly of late. And in this conversation, we get into what is perhaps the biggest challenge that humanity faces, abuse of power. Something that both of us believe is at the root of so much of what ails us, and now what ails our planetary home. If ever there's a time where sacred activism is necessary, it's right now. It's right now. So have a listen. But first, a little bit of Trevor Hall and his song Arrows from his album, The Fruitful Darkness. Both a brilliant album and the primary theme of this conversation. Because there can be no doubt that the darkness is upon us, friends. The only question now is whether we'll pretend it's not here and therefore never escape it, or whether we'll stand bravely before it and work together to remove its toxic patriarchal roots so that we can then co-create a world and a way of being that honors our divine and shared humanness once and for all. Welcome. 
so much welcome, Andrew. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to be with you. I always enjoy being with you, Big Lion. Um, I enjoy it much too much. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much we could talk about, but, you know, in terms of thematically, what's really up for me right now um, is this theme, this theme that in many ways I began my life with, abuse of power. You know, I was standing down abuse of power in my crib, I think. Um, <laughs> yes. And it, it's really been a theme that kind of, threaded throughout so much of my early life in particular and and even in parts of my adult life and and then i kind of broke free from it for a long time and was able to just get lost in this very delightful and spacious creative process that you know so much about but then abuse of power came back into my life um, in a way that was shockingly unexpected and and now i'm spending a lot of more time a lot more time in, in contemplation around just how deep this problem goes oh. systemically and structurally oh, yes. and how it seems to me it's absolutely going to prevent us unless we bridge to each other and band together in order to confront it, call it out, see through it and deal with it from actually doing anything to save this species from its own, own trappings. Um, I mean, I know there's so much you can say about this. Well, I, I think the first thing that I would say is that we have to face something that we don't really want to face, which is that patriarchy itself is an abuse machine. It's fueled by abuse. It runs on abuse. It does abuse in every conceivable direction all the time. And as long as patriarchy continues and is fed by our fears and our shame and our guilt and we are seduced by its games and its distractions, mm -hmm. there is absolutely no hope of saving humanity and nature. That's what we have to face. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to begin by just reading you a prayer by Matthew Fox, the great Christian mystical theologian and a beloved friend of mine who has been the most adamant revolutionary of the Christ against the patriarchal abuse machine and is now 80, but going strong and still mm. writing with letters of fire. This is a prayer he wrote, and it's a prayer to the Divine Mother to save us from patriarchy. What's the book, Andrew? It's actually quoted in my book, Son of Man, on page 295 for all the millions of you that are going to buy this book immediately. Patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> abuse, abuse. Listen, this is so brilliant and so comprehensive. From patriarchy's lack of authentic curiosity, from patriarchy's separation of head from body, from patriarchy's separation of body from feelings, from patriarchy's preoccupation with sex, from patriarchy's fear of intimacy, from patriarchy's reptilian brain, from patriarchy's anthropocentrism, from patriarchy's cosmic loneliness, from patriarchy's crucifixion of Mother Earth, from patriarchy's envy and manipulation of children, from patriarchy's abuse of women, from patriarchy's homophobia, from patriarchy's righteousness, 
from patriarchy's idolatry of nationhood and national security, from patriarchy's forgetfulness of beauty and art, from patriarchy's impotence to heal, from patriarchy's sadomasochism, from patriarchy's parental cannibalism and devouring of its children, Mm. from patriarchy's lack of balance, from patriarchy's savaging of the earth, from patriarchy's quest for immortality, from patriarchy's ego, from patriarchy's waste of talent and resources, human and earth, from patriarchy's human chauvinism, from patriarchy's compulsion to go into debt to finance its bloated lifestyles, from patriarchy's matricide. Spare us, O divine one. That covers the brutal waterfront. And it demonstrates the truth of what I tried to communicate in that first blast. Unless we see that we are trapped in a concentration camp of abuse on every level, mental, emotional, spiritual. And unless we absolutely become aware of what that is costing us in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls, and the horror that it is now exploding in every conceivable crisis all together, all over the world, unless we make the terrifying and brave effort to see that clearly Mm -hmm. and do whatever we can to change our own addiction to the patriarchal games and distractions and do whatever we can to step up armed with divine strength, divine peace, divine passion, divine clarity, Mm -hmm. and really pour our lives out in sacred activism, we are doomed. The good news is that the crisis is bound now to become so extreme, so painful on every level that many, many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will be woken up to this stark, frightening truth that I have just said. And the signs that that's happening are everywhere And my life is dedicated absolutely to helping people wake up to the tragic situation we're in and the cause for it, but also to offer the visions and the tools that we now need to empower ourselves with as never before in human history. So now I'll fall off my chair and stop ranting and reflect it back to you. Does that make deep sense to you what i've just said it, it it resonates with every part of me but i'm also and always aware of the great challenge yeah. we've been conditioned in this god objectifying of the masculine system for centuries um, millennia we we've had to uh, twist ourselves about internally on so many levels just to deny the realities that we are on some level intuitively aware of with respect to patriarchal abuse. And my concern is that we are at such a precipice that I wonder how we can quickly enough and in a way that's deeply embodied enough unravel 
this horrifying conditioning and find our way to both see through the veils, to transform ourselves into something different than what we've been in order for us to gather together and bridge to one another and actually transform this humanity before it's too late. That is the million dollar question. And I don't think there's anyone on this earth, including the Dalai Lama, who knows the answer to that question. I think there is absolutely no secure answer to that question. That's the koan of our time. <laughs> I think, though, that if you see our whole crisis as a manifestation of the dark night process. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough, that brings hope, a very rugged, very shattered, very edgy hope. Mm -hmm. And the hope is this, that the explosion of the crises themselves and all the bewilderment and paralysis and despair that we feel both about what you've been describing and also about the crises themselves mm -hmm. are part of a radical humbling of the whole human race that could there's no certainty that it will expose us to divine grace and to divine illumination in a way that we have never experienced before on our evolutionary journey and give us visions we've never had, powers we've never embodied, and ways through in seemingly absolute impossible situations. I have lived through a terrifying dark night process myself, a classic dark night, and throughout the first long, terrible part of that dark night, I felt as you just described for the human race. I felt there is absolutely no way in heaven or hell that I will survive this mentally, spiritually, or physically, because at that particular moment, my life was in danger and I was getting death threats every day. And my husband was dying of cancer. The whole, I mean, the whole enchilada of horror. But what I experienced in that dark night was miracle, protection, miraculous new ways being opened seemingly at the end of the end of any possible night. So that's where my very rugged hope resides. And where my teaching, I hope, is helping people now is that it's saying to people, stop pretending that we're not in a global dark night. We are. There are crises of unmanageable proportions erupting everywhere. Today, the UN head said, look, we're losing it. Instead of cooperating, we're becoming more divisive, more crazy every single day. He gave the most incredible, passionate speech at the UN. And he was right in everything he said. Stop thinking that we're not in this global dark night, number one. Number two, have the courage to see the dark night as an essential passage to a possible birth of a new kind of humanity, a global divinized humanity, an embodied divine humanity, all the work that your wonderful work is dedicated to. And three, get with 
two really important streams of initiation. The first is the stream of initiation that's been given us by the great evolutionary mystics who know that the dark night can prepare divine embodiment. And the second is get real about the necessity right now of becoming sacred activists and doing whatever you can grounded in deep spiritual practice to help in whatever way you can to serve the potential birth of a new humanity. Gamble your life in this totally uncertain situation on that because it will. it is the only thing that could possibly work. And despite everything, despite the madness, despite the chaos, despite the suffering, it will give your life coherence, meaning, and a strange, wild joy. That's it. That's everything I know. And that's everything I'm standing by mm. because it's the only way I glimpse. No, it's the only way I see through revelation and through my own experience and through my own experience of living in the complete insanity of America falling apart that could possibly give the human race a chance of not only survival, but the kind of transformation that it so desperately needs to be able to be a humble co-creator of a new way of being and doing everything. Beautiful. So, so when I think about that, bring it back to my own. Oh, please, no, no, personal I'm... experience and the experience about your experience, my friend. No, we'll, oh, we'll leave we'll leave that for another day. But, but you know, and if I think about others that I know, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is we have to be able to, and you and I've talked about this and written about this. We have to get embodied. We have to get into our oh, bodies. Yes. And I think it's very difficult in a deliberately overwhelming, overstimulating, fragmenting, and fracturing culture, which we Set know up to disembody us. Mm -hmm. Benefits a very small few. The more disembodied and uncentered we are the more likely we are to buy silly things and to believe in ridiculous optical illusions and all the rest of that. Well, those who uh, believe absurdities do atrocities, as Voltaire said. Yeah. Ah, nice. Mm -hmm. So in order to come back down into this body, perhaps to really know the body for the first time, you know, the first level of interface really is to begin to come into contact with and to excavate all this unresolved individual to collective trauma that right. is preventing me and many of us from having the kind of energy and spaciousness inside to solidify ourselves, to center ourselves, to see through the veils, to have the presence of body more, in fact, more important than the presence of mind to be able to really see the stories we're being fed, the ways in which we're being led to slaughter and to Godjectify those power brokers, elitists, and elite wannabes who are not worthy of any of our time. But if we're not in our bodies, and if we don't clear that debris, and if we don't create enough energy, vitality, and spaciousness internally, how are we ever going to not only see through the veils, but find a way to fight for our right to the light together? Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. The whole work now is embodiment and shadow work, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. But I would like to just add a perspective that comes for me from the great evolutionary mystics. Aurobindo, who was the great pioneer of this next possible leap in the divinization of the human, 
said that the entry into the body had four essential stages. The first is to calm the mind, because until your mind is calm and finds that essential mind, your mind is constantly distracting you from being in the presence of your embodied self. When the mind begins to become, then you notice that the second stage is now possible, which is really working on the way in which you're churning wild emotions prevent you from actually being present to your present. When that is calmed through deep meditation, through mystical practice, through deep shadow work, through the excavation of the traumas that have kept you in the thrall of those emotions, when that is increasingly successful, you penetrate into a very, very subtle but very dangerous area where you realize that your body has been trained to all kinds of fearful, anxiety-ridden, instinctual responses, which become much clearer when your mind and your emotions are clear. And that is a very thorny, bewildering, weird territory, because even when you've cleared some of your traumas enough to be able to see them and make them conscious, your body, which you've been neglecting and abandoning, has been trained to so many kinds of profoundly disordered responses, hysterical responses, that actually working to disentangle the ferocious knots that those responses have created is a very complex activity. When that is beginning to clear, then you meet what he calls the cobra that is coiled around the great secret that's hidden at the core of matter. And that cobra he describes as the no to the divine, the no to the light, the no to being transmuted, transfigured. And that is probably the harshest and hardest stage of all, because the great evolutionary mystics tell us that while matter is a creation of the light and is made, as modern physicists know, of the substance of light energy, of consciousness energy. For matter to exist, it has to have at the core of itself this no, this refusal that coagulates it, that keeps it together. How you undo that no, how you detonate softly that no through intense mystical work is the challenge that Aurobindo took on and the mother took on and the great mystic Satprem, who was the mother's great helper and who wrote astounding books, which if you ever read them will rock your world called Evolution 2 and in many books and, and also was living this process. This is the clearest diagram we have ever been given of what is the work, of what is the work. And it's very tough. It's very demanding. But again, the the hope is that the Divine Mother, and I call her the Divine Mother, has ordained the extremity of this crisis 
to make this work essential and then will pour upon us the grace to actually do it. Species don't progress except through very extreme crisis. They either die out or they transfigure. And we're in that kind of crisis. It was known in all the great evolutionary mystical systems that this crisis would come when humanity would be compelled by the horror of its own hubris to go into a mysterious and terrible process that could potentially transfigure it. It's known. And the maps have been given us by heroic pioneers of just this process. And I count you as one of those heroic pioneers because mm -hmm. the work that you've been concentrating on is that crucial second stage, the second stage of clearing the trauma. And you know trauma from, from your earliest breath. You know trauma, personal trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma, collective trauma, world trauma. And you know just, and you've worked so resolutely and passionately on the different modalities that can help us get to the, a clearing that is wise and spacious enough to give us the uh, 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 not uh, final healing, because neither of us believe there is anything like a final healing, but enough distance, enough clarity to be able not to be the slave of that trauma, the reactive tyrant of that trauma. Yeah. But it's very important, I think, at this moment to really understand as far as we can these four levels of working on the body because something absolutely extraordinary is possible and absolutely everything is at stake. Yeah. Everything's at stake. I, I think I'd like to just say for those who are listening that that I would include in the list of practices, mystical practices. For me, mystical practices and embodiment practices are the same thing. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the somatic, it depends how you use them, though, doesn't it? Because yeah. some people use the mystical to practices dissociate, to get right? out, to get out, to yeah, get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're not inviting them in that direction. We're yeah. inviting them to come back down into their bodies. So, you know. Things like somatic experiencing, Peter Levine's work. Yes. Um, I'm a big fan, I've always been a big fan of bioenergetics, uh, the work of Alexander Lowen and John Parakos. Um, I like David Burcelli's TRE method. I don't think he calls it a psychotherapy, but I certainly felt therapeutically benefited when I engaged in it. Um, Stan Groff's holotropic breath work absolutely transformed my consciousness. And, Amazing, yeah. you know, and there were so many new models developing that are all worth exploring. Um, and I think and it's the, a, and the modalities too of, of sacred uh, physical practice. I think authentic yoga and authentic sacred dance are two extraordinary modalities that help the subtle exorcism of trauma and the transmutation of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the transmutation, this is not just about clearing the emotional debris to create space inside and energy. That's beautiful and essential. But for me, emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are synonymous. And yeah. in the work that I did, when I could go bravely to that edge within the body, clear the debris, access old memory, move old expression that was never had an opportunity to be moved. I not only created space inside, I transformed. I became a more spiritually mature person who could now hold the space for a greater degree of discomfort 
And that capacity to hold the space for a greater degree of discomfort informs this question now of how we move into the discomfort yes. of the transformation of this human experience. Um, that's so key. And that's so hard for a whole culture that has been trained by patriarchy to think that everything has to be easy. Everything has to be available. You have a pill for this and a nice practice for total enlightenment, which you can get in a week with some shyster. Well, and, and you know, in, in the entire spiritual world, the emphasis on artificial or premature forgiveness, the, um, you know, denial of the value of anger expression, uh, the eradication of judgment, all of which played into the guru's hands. The guru could do anything the guru ever wanted to do. Yes. If you couldn't get angry, you couldn't judge and you had to forgive. So we see this thread throughout the religious world. We see this all over the new cage movement. We see this all over the culture itself. And yes. it's very clear that if we continue to live in this particularly superficial manner with respect to our emotional processes, that we, most of us, will ultimately perish and that very small fragment who is benefiting from our unconsciousness and our divisiveness will at some point float off in some sort of lovely rocket ships while the rest of us perish here on Mother Earth. Um, oh, I really, I really the believe The terrible that. scenario is that they will, through AI, be able to control a slave population yeah, yeah, and yeah. work on what they call the transhuman, which is such a disgusting, dis demonic idea. One can have I f my mind faints away at yeah, it. Absolutely horrifying. But you see how it would benefit them. But you've got to the key of the problem. And this is another way in which I so love your work. The problem is that to go from rabid, unconscious, destructive dissociation mm -hmm. to sympathetic, interconnected, luscious, compassionate embodiment requires the capacity to be radically discomfited, mm -hmm. to bear a great deal of necessary suffering, bewilderment, mm -hmm. and deep, deep discomfort. So then, knowing that, as we both do from our own inmost experience, it seems to me, at least I speak about myself, that my job is to help people get all the available inner and outer tools that they will need to become spacious enough, aware of the map enough, alert to the divine possibility enough to be able to stand what they will have to stand, we will all have to stand, to let this tumultuous, turbulent, new being be born in and through us. Fantastic. So, does that make sense to you? Does that ring true? Absolutely, it does. But what I would also like to talk about is so, as part of this engagement with the world, particularly as I go through my own transformative process, become more acquainted with, <laughs> comfortable <laughs> with, the discomfort of connecting with the authentic self and relating from an authentic place. Um, I look around and I think about my experiences and I think about the experiences of most everyone I've ever known. And 
this question of abuse of power oh, and, God. and the need for the whistleblower. So I've been thinking a lot about the whistleblower lately for all kinds of very personal reasons. And, and I feel as though we have just are entering into the era really of the whistleblower. Right. And I think this is part of this uh, reconfiguration or transconfiguration of the human that we have to reach oh, the course. stage where we're Station. calling, where we are calling out on every level, on a familial mm -hmm. level, on a spiritual level, on a religious level, certainly on an economic and political level. On all the levels of patriarchy. Yeah. All the ways in which abuse of power subtly and very obviously and very practically lives itself out. Um, yes. And I think about how many billions of people have been abused by power since the beginning yes. of time. And if they even lived to tell the tale, couldn't tell the tale, yes. had to swallow the story, had to repress yes. the discomfort, went to the media, mainstream media, and the media was completely complicit in protecting the patriarchal structures. Yes. So what do you have to say about how we can energize ourselves to finally call out abuse of power and I think even more importantly, how we can support one another in those That's efforts. I think it is too. Yes. I would love to throw that question back to you because I think it's because of the circumstances you're in, it's of crucial importance for you. And I'd love to hear your formulation of it. And I'd love to dance with you on it. So take a deep breath. And what are you discovering in your journey? I, I'm, I'm, I'm discovering that, um, you know, this, this term gaslighting, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's such I, a brilliant and perfect term. It's, isn't? it's fucking fantastic. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I mean, as a child, I experienced that I would name something, I would call something out. I would be, and I was in a very congruent, very clarified, emotionally worked through place for many years of my early life. Um, and I just happened to grow up with a, a mother who lied about those events or who just because of her own issues, just didn't see those events for what they were. Yeah. So I knew, I know something about this, but since then, really, I've moved very confidently through my life and have had very little interaction with a gaslighting consciousness. More recently, because of some events that have occurred. Um, I've had to go to the world and to people that I know and people that I love, and in some cases, people that I loved, past tense, mm -hmm. to share very evidentially based details of various scenarios with them. And in part, not to, not to suggest they aren't accountable for their response to me, um, but I also do understand because of this abuse of patriarchal structure, people are overwhelmed people are fragmented, people are running away from their own shadow or memories of right. tra traumatic events that they've never had a chance to resolve. Because and they're if, traumatized and don't want the trauma to be activated by the trauma you're bringing. Well, that's right. And maybe in their daily lives, they wouldn't be able to open that Pandora's box and inhabit that material. So, there's, it's this very perfectly woven by these unconscionable structures so that even people who love you sometimes can't hold the space for your experience right. without unknowingly gaslighting you. Um, so I think we have to expand our capacity to go into our bodies, hold reality, clear enough of our emotional debris so we have space to inhabit somebody else's story empathically for a period of time. Um, I think this is very important. 
And I think that we need to find a way um, to begin to talk about whistleblowing and to financially support whistleblowers. Oh, I God, mean, this yes. is beginning to happen. Many of the reasons people don't tell their stories is they're it's afraid they won't survive. They won't be able to survive. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yes, I know it well. I had I paid for 10 years of financial insecurity for what I was forced to do in my 40s, compelled to do. I know. Yeah. I had an amazing conversation once with a woman who was number three, I think, in the UN, Monica Sharma at the time. And she said, the world will not progress unless we have a real huge fund that will support whistleblowers globally, that somebody has to step up and give a billions of dollars, yeah. secure yeah. the future, and to provide the lawyers and to provide the psychological help and spiritual help to people who are brave enough to stand against these now epidemic forms of abuse. And I think that it still hasn't happened. But the fact that you said it and that she said it and we've been thinking about it means that it is in the air. So if there is a billionaire listening, please, please do that immediately and call it after yourself. Have your name splashed across it. It will be a huge act of help to humanity. It might actually ultimately transform the world because, be because if we don't cross the line with respect to really understanding what abusive power is, mm -hmm. the various ways that it's manifest, not just the bullies, but the invisibilities too, who use their minions to do their bidding. If we don't really begin to understand the way that we're worked, it's absolutely impossible for anything it's over. to change. The whole human yeah. experiment is yeah. over. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would say and is that what has disappointed me most in my life is how um, unbelievably cowardly I find the major spiritual teachers. Why the hell aren't they all standing up and having exactly this kind of conversation? Because they're dissociated. They're dissociated, but also they want their empires to continue. They, yeah, they've got yeah, a good stick and it's all working that's and that's right. fine. They that's want right. their mansions, et cetera. And that is a disaster because it means that a whistleblower doesn't have a mature spiritual culture to go to for comfort and recognition mm -hmm. of the fact that when they stand up and engage in reality, as a whistleblower, they bring upon themselves the dark night process. That's what happens. And if you had a spiritually mature culture which says, aha, now you're in the dark night process and we are going to stand with you and recognize the depth of your suffering and help you through this terrible birthing process into your authentic power and your authentic mission. I had nobody who was helping me. And I know so many whistleblowers through the work that I've done who have nearly died again and again, finding the strength to go forward without any support. And that is tragic. So that's a very important component of what we need if we're going to go forward. And the other component, I think, that is really essential is to face that when you stand up and engage in this heroic action of whistleblowing, you are going to have to face that a great many people who you thought were your allies, were people who would absolutely support you, who are wonderful, 
absolutely abandon you mm-hmm. for many reasons, partly because they're traumatized too and don't want the traumas activated, partly because they're terrified of losing their sinecures and their positions, and partly because they just don't have the container big enough to contain the agony that you're in and the agony that you are presenting them objectively mm-hmm. as fact mm-hmm. in the world. And again, if we had not just a fund for whistleblowers, but a group of mature psychologists, mature embodiment teachers, mature spiritual teachers who worked consciously to be there for people Mm. who are taking on this mission, then we would have a system that would be the antidote to patriarchy, the kind of mm-hmm. sacred hospital in which the whistleblowers mm-hmm. would be fed the vitamins of faith and hope and trust and strength and love and compassion that they need to continue their astounding work. Yeah, I mean, we want to reach the stage where telling the truth about abuses of power isn't a pioneering path. It's a way of being that's collectively embraced, accepted, and supported. And um, I, I've been very lucky in the experience that I've been working through for the last 21 months because unlike those people who were connected to so-called spiritual teachers who are, you know, essentially rooted in the same dissociated patriarchal abuse of mm. structure that were engaged in the political and economic realms, I, I was connected from the very beginning with a man named Andrew Harvey. Oh, yes, him, you crazy person. Oh, well, the best kind of crazy who got on the phone with me and knew precisely the nature of what I was experiencing. And unlike many other people who retreated and disconnected, people I never would have retreated and disconnected from if they were having my experience, he just kept at me on that fucking telephone (laughs) until I understood that I wasn't alone until I understood the broader sociological and contextual meaning of this experience um, and showed up almost always at the moment when I felt most flabbergasted, bewildered and confused by these experiences I had and and had no, absolutely no idea what to do about them, including today, just before we initiated this podcast. So I'd like to just say to you publicly, beloved, Andrew Harvey, I love you, and I'm so grateful for you for being there for me in the ways that you have. Many well-known people retreated from me. I will never forget their names, and I am will never, ever, ever, ever forget you. So thank you. Thank you. It was. It really is an honor to be of any help to a man like you. Thank you, Big Line. So now we must help all the others. You yes, and the we ones been through this terrifying process. We must try and stay alive and steady enough to be able to put our arms around them and say to them, you're not going mad. It's not, you're not dying. You're being born into another level of your own power. It's excruciating, this birth, but it can result in the most amazing transformation. And you are helping the potential birth of a completely new humanity. That's the message we need to, and we need to give it. It's true. That's true. It's true. It's true. Fellow whistleblowers unite. You know, I mean, I think that as I think about it, this this whole process, I think one of the things that I've learned is that you be very careful. And it's very 
easy when you're in a very confusing and desperate place to turn in the wrong direction for support. And, you know, sometimes yeah. you have to experience it and you find out, but don't keep going back for more in the direction of places that have already reflected back to you that they are not going to be able to support you or hold a space for you. Really be very specific and very targeted in the way in which you approach others and who you bring into your fold. And, and then when you find the right ones, just cling to them very, very tightly as you go through the entirety of the process. Yeah. You know something, and I, I I don't know whether you'd put it in my language because it's my language, but what I discovered in the dark night that I went through because I stood up against the guru system, and it was a nightmare, a nightmare you know a lot about, three years of death threats and God knows what. <laughs> what I discovered is that if I could somehow believe against all possible reason that the divine would protect and guide me, Amazing people came out of the shadows, strange new people, people I would never have thought of as my friends, people I would never have thought of as my guides. The divine does provide, even in a, as terrible a situation as we find ourselves in, the divine does provide guidance if you can stay strong enough, humble enough, dedicated enough to love and to the transformation. It's it's an astonishing experience, and I've lived through it. So I know that in the hell of our time, there are people who will you will meet, you will get sucker from if you stay devoted to mm. the birth of a new humanity mm. and give everything in yourself to that birth. Yeah. Come what may. That's what it requires. It requires that absolute a commitment. But if you can find in yourself the shred of the intense courage to be able to make that commitment, however tremblingly, the divine will shower you with strange miracles and yeah. you will be given the help you need at usually at one minute to midnight, I found. Yeah. Does that ring true for you? Um, I mean, I think a number of people showed up out of nowhere um, yeah. to show love to me and to support me yeah. and, and others close to me didn't. Um, but I, I think what I, I come back to, if I try to imagine the humanification of a newly evolving humanity, one that is rooted in its um, rightful experience of self-worth, yeah. one that is truly relational and sacred purpose driven one that is not motivated as many financially motivated and politically motivated people are by unhealthily egoic or primarily financial concerns um which is crazy insecurity which is well it, well it, it never works i mean the hole in the ego their egos are they're just lost children looking right. to finally feel loved connected with valued mm -hmm. Sometimes they want power because they'll feel safer when they have power. Right. There's a lot of reasons for it, but it, it doesn't get anywhere. It just creates the horrible crisis that we're in. And we want to move in the direction where we are moving from a healthily egoic and centered place, clear and integrated, clear as to why we're here in this lifetime. I believe in what James Helmut wrote about in innate image. I believe we carry a brilliant and magnificent encoded path. And I believe all of these systems are designed to disconnect us, yes. sever us from that intrinsic 
awareness. Well, they would all crumble if we discovered who we really were it, together it, and worked together to create an could, egalitarian, interconnected, harmonious, just world. They will absolutely. all evaporate like smoke. Instantly. And they'll do anything to prevent us discovering. And they are doing anything to prevent us. And so their diversionary cliches, their obsession with optics, all the various manipulative techniques that are used to oh, use the humanity. One they have is, of course, distraction by distraction from distraction. That's yeah, absolutely. A great one. Absolutely. To make everything into showtime, to make yeah. everything into entertainment. That's the masterpiece. And that's why the I mean, we're here, we are on social media, but this new book, The Chaos Machine, that's just come out from Max Fisher is a devastating account of how this particular set of dark powers that control patriarchy have discovered this way of keeping us endlessly distracted, even and endlessly stirred up in such ways that we never do the work of mm. radical embodiment and discovering mm. who we really are and how powerful and amazing we are. And we are together. Mm. It's an amazing game when you see it. There's a book by Charles, <clears throat> which I love, which is called The Antichrist Energies. It's an mm. astounding book. And in this book, he's a Muslim mystic. He says, look, it, we've been thinking of the Antichrist as a guy, you know, with orange hair, which actually does have so that a certain name pops up immediately. But there's, it's not that. It is a coming together of dark, brilliantly organized energies that, lay down systems in every aspect of the world to constrain the essential glory of the human being and to make impossible the discovery of that glory and the manifestation yeah. of that glory. And I think now we're seeing that the Antichrist energy is on crack. Having yeah. an right. And the good news, if there is good news, and I think there is, I always there is the good news is is that if you can stand it and you can stay calm you'll be given the full map the full picture it will all become clear to you how a great part of human history has been a conspiracy a real organized grounded terribly efficient conspiracy to stop humanity discovering that it is essentially divine divine and therefore empowered beyond imagining and therefore capable of humbly co-creating with divine energies to reorganize the world in the most amazing way. That's the great game. Absolutely. You know, I do a lot of sessions related to sacred purpose and I'm, I'm always just blown away by how many people come my way and I'm sure have come your way in your work in the world who have absolutely no idea what their path is, what their purpose is, what greatness lives within them, all those uh, gifts and offerings that they carry within them, encoded within oh, them, yes. and they haven't even had five seconds of centeredness, spaciousness, and security in the world to be able to really even ask the question, who the fuck really am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose in this lifetime? They know and they intuitively sense that there's something so much more living within them than they can access, oh, but these horrifying, unconscionable systems are keeping them away. That's the most heartbreaking thing of all, I find. And I especially find it when I'm in 
the poor, amongst the poor, because mm. when you're walking in a slum in Bombay or Nairobi and your heart is opened, you see the most astounding, brilliant, amazing people. You realize, my God, what hope will that person ever have mm. of really being able to get the education they need, the support they need, the medicine they need, the food they need yeah. to be able to give their obviously amazing gifts to the world. It's it shatters my heart again and again. Yeah. And it shatters my heart too that those who have the privilege of, of having some security go to such debased spiritual visions for palliatives rather than inspirations, for placebos rather than invigorabos, if that is a word. Yeah, I think Ken, Ken Wilber called them, I think, substitute gratifications for God. Exactly. It's, that is the heartbreak. The, I think it, I, every teacher has had that heartbreak, but I don't think any of the great teachers of the past ever imagined a situation as terrible as the one we find ourselves in. I don't think even the Buddha in his clearest moments foresaw this, nor even Christ. This is unprecedented. Yeah. And we need unprecedented courage and clarity and determination to have a good We sure do. We sure do, big line. So let me, uh, let me close out with a, a quote for our listeners from my book, Spiritual Graffiti, um, that oh, I dedicated, I that I dedicated to you. I dedicated this quote to you. Thank you. The path of the spiritual warrior is not soft and sweet. It is not artificially blissful and feigned forgiving. It is not fearful of divisiveness. It is not afraid of its own shadow. It is not afraid of losing popularity when it speaks its truth. It will not beat around the bush where directness is essential. It has no regard for vested interests that cause suffering. It is benevolent and it is fiery and it is cuttingly honest in its efforts to liberate itself and humanity from the egoic ties that bind. Shunning strong opinions in the name of spirituality is anti-spiritual. Spiritual that is only floaty soft is a recipe for disaster, allowing all manner of manipulation to run amok. Real spirituality is a quest for truth in all its forms. Sometimes we find the truth on the meditation cushion, and sometimes we find it in the heart of legitimate conflict. May all spiritual warriors rise into fullness. This planet is lost without them. Mm. Close quote. Bless you. I hope to live to deserve it, but it is a wonderful aspiration for us all. Really, that's the truth. And that, thank God we've had these great spiritual warriors in the past to inspire us also. They, and they're all around us saying now, throw away everything and stand up with, in the trembling majesty of your authentic being and pour yourself out, whatever it costs for the future of the planet. The time is now time is now. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next week. Arrows come straight for my heart.